This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Previously on Homestale Radio. Um, I've got a few bits of admin to do first. Happy birthday for... To, no, not two. From all at Homestale... Mm, it's gone really badly. I'm going to try it again. Happy birthday from all at Homestale Radio to Mike Clough, all the way over in uh, Vancouver. I'd like to wish a very happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there as well. Was that was that creepy? Extremely. I actually jumped up and started singing the Joe Ward. Joe Ward, Joe Ward, Joe Ward <laughs> song in the stand and people were looking at me. Like I was some weirdo. No, they were right. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> <laughs> the referee put his whistle in his mouth and was yeah. about to blow the, the foul, but he knew if he blew that whistle, he had to send a newer half, and he didn't do it. Why? Because he hasn't got the balls to do it. Be Palace fans. Be Palace fans. Not a political party that's trying to prove something. Let's take that. that let's leave that outside of the football ground. That, that's something that happens on the outside. For all our contact information and to send us an email, visit holradio.net forward slash contact. Hello, welcome to Homestay Radio. My name is Chris Hambling and with me, mm, uh, I'm confused already because the music's really loud in my ears. There we go, that's better isn't it? I can hear now. Let me start that again. Welcome to Homestay Radio. My name is Chris Hambling and I am your host tonight. With me today are Albert Curling. Yeah. Yeah. Tav, oh, I've got it wrong again. Tav Sanasi. There you go. Hello. Hello. And we've also got Terence. Terence Ford. Hello. Present. Present and correct. Uh, and once again, I have to point out Terence from redandbluearmy.co.uk. It's like redandbluearmy.co.uk, isn't it? Well, and we'll get you there as well. Will it? Yeah. Oh, you learn something new every day. Probably the, in- <laughs> the intro is probably not where to do that, but never mind. Anyway, we'll be looking... Oh, Tom's producing today, so expect fireworks. Uh, We'll be looking back at the fantastic win at Stoke in detail, analysing all the key moments. Uh, We also have an exclusive chat with Chairman Steve Parrish after Tav accepted Whole Radio's uh, invite from Steve to go and see the footage that resulted in the banning orders orders discussed on last week's show. Uh, And Tav also asked Steve a few other questions for good measure, the audio of which coming right up. Uh, Get in touch with the show on all topics of discussion. Go to holradio.net forward slash contact. And also, you can do that during the week, too, if you're a podcast listener. Although live interaction is better, obviously. So, loads coming up for you, but first of all, it's a visit to News in Brief. Get in touch with us. 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 Get in
touch with the show. All of our contact details can be found at holradio.net forward slash contact. All the latest news from around Selhurst Park. This is News in Brief. Quasi Apaya has extended his stay at Palace by signing a two-year contract extension with the Eagles. The striker, currently on loan at Cambridge United, mm, except he isn't, he'll be going out on loan to someone else soon. Mm, anyway, never mind, will now remain contracted to Palace till the summer of 2017. Speaking about the deal, Apaya said it's put me in good stead coming back to Crystal Palace. The season has gone from strength to strength. Uh, the extension extends a positive 12 months for the forward, whose good form was enough to earn his first call-up for the Ghana national side and appear in the recent African Cup of Nations tournament. Nine Palace players have been called up for international duty in the coming week. Joe Ledley and Wayne Hennessy have been named in the Welsh squad ahead of their Euro 2016 qualifiers. While James MacArthur and Barry Bannon have been selected for their respective home nation side, Scotchland. Mina Yedinek, despite serving a current suspension, is eligible for Australia's trip to Germany. Kwesi Apaya and Papa Swari have been selected for Ghana and Senegal, respectively. And Yannick Balassi and Adrian Mavia have been selected for DR Congo and Jamaica, respectively. The Eagles Element. News, views and reviews on Crystal Palace. www.theeagleselement.com Um, it was a very interesting sound at the end of that clip there. Uh, okay, look, plenty to talk about. Um, look, we're going to start talking about uh, the Stoke game. It's a great win for Palace, 2-1, um, obviously at the Britannia Stadium as well, which is always a horrible place to go, but a, a great victory there. Um... The team selection, I suppose, is, a, is always a good place to start. And and I, there was not obviously too much different other than the fact that Papa Suarez got his place back um, again, you know, in, in place of Martin Kelly. Now, Kelly hadn't really done anything, in my view, that deserved him to be dropped. He's been pretty, pretty good in the last couple of games in that position. But uh, Suarez was interesting. Um, let's get your, get your views on, um, you know, on, on what you th- thought of his performance. I'll start with you, actually, Terence. How did Suarez actually get on, first of all? Um, well, I, th- I think he was brought in for his pace, really. If you look at um, Stoke, they've got Victor Moses and Anatovich on the wings. and But Moses didn't play, and I think he was probably there to try and cope with Moses in, in a pace sense. In terms of how he did, uh, hit and miss again. He, at times, he just looks horribly out of place. I thought um, none more so than the island chance that Spironi saved. From the, I think it was Anatovich or Adam who hit the shot and it fell through to Ireland and Suarez playing him a mile on side. Where if he was in line with the rest of the defence, then he's offside. Yeah, yeah, now that's fair. And I don't know. I I, I had I had problems with his positional play, um, I, but I thought I thought up until the point, the sort of the hour mark, really, uh, where he started to quite clearly get tired and quite clearly get stretched. I actually thought overall his contrib- contribution was pretty strong. What did you think, Tav? Sorry, I totally missed that. I was off in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, mate. Yeah, no, it's fine. I was just talking about Suarez and just your general view of his performance. He, he's not a, he hasn't really impressed for me, to be honest, so far. He has his moments because his pace is quite <laughs> useful for us in our attacks. But other than that, his defending can be a little bit on and off sometimes. He can create a little bit of... He makes tackles he doesn't need to for me. And sometimes that just leaves us a little bit empty their back because it does take a bit of time for him to get back sometimes which I think can be quite worrying okay that's um yeah no I think so but 
I don't know. For me, what I, I, I'm kind of thinking long term on it, to be honest with you. If you and that's that's how I view it. Obviously, Pardew's trying to get him to settle in and try and get him used to playing with the team. He's only had a couple of games, and it's quite clear he's not really up to the, the speed of the Premier Premier League. But quite often, I, I thought the overlapping alongside Balassi and, and the fact that you know he can get forward and get across in. I think going when you think about where we're perhaps going as a club and where Alan Pardew wants us to go as a club. I think having an overlapping fullback who's comfortable going forward is great, but it's just the tendency to go narrow when defending, particularly when we're defending in numbers. When Balassi comes back, his immediate reaction is to tuck inside, and that's not always a good thing. Sometimes you need both players out there. Um, so I think that there are there are issues certainly with him, but um, but I think he really does uh, offer something um, a little different to, to anything else that we've got. What's your view on him, Albert? I think he's got potential. Uh, you know, every every player, certainly when they come into the Premier League and thrown at the deep end, can be prone to the odd mistake and maybe a bit of naivety. But I haven't seen. Yeah, all right. We haven't seen anything. He hasn't set the world on fire. However, I, I just think that, given his circumstances, I haven't seen anything that makes it look like it's a waste of money and he's never going to be good. He's definitely got potential. I think towards <laughs> the end of the Arsenal game, he uh, he impressed getting forward. Putting in, putting a decent cross or two, and you know, and was always looking for for Balassi, who was you know always crying out for the ball. Um, I, th- I think he's got potential. I just think for now, Pardy seems to be keeping both. You know, Kelly's Kelly's not a first choice left back, and as it stands, Suarez's not a first choice left back. So I think mm. chopping and changing them keeps them both on their toes, and hopefully helps them up their game. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah. I. I, th- I think. I think it's very early to judge a player, and we've got to learn from the mistakes of the past on that. I think, um, you know, people judging Mila Yednak very, very early on and saying he'll never settle in, can't pass, all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, he's. Um, I don't know. I, I think that I, there's something about him I like. I think it's it's the whole it's the hundred percent thing. He's he, just he gives everything that he's got. He might not be, um, you know, he might not be particularly impressing as such, but. But he's very much, it doesn't leave anything behind in the changing room. He's just constantly on it. And I don't know, I think he's going to be a good player for us in time. But um, I think, well, and I th- well, if you think we're safe now, maybe it's a good time to be playing him, getting him used to the division. Um, I think so- there's also, sorry, so I'm not sure if I've said this before, um, but there's an element of Pardew learning from Debushi when he signed him at Newcastle. For the mm. first 10 games or so, he got ripped a new one. And it took him quite a while to adapt, so I think he's very wary of wary of that and doesn't want to just leave him in there to drown. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really good management. When, like you say, learning as well, learning from an, a previous experience. Um, so obviously, just I've been uh, just before the show watching Alan Pardew on goals on Sunday, and he comes across very different now. Um, now he's Palace manager than he did as, as Newcastle manager and in previous jobs at you know at West Ham and Southampton. I think he comes across as a much more measured and calm individual now. Um, I think he has learned an awful lot, and he's you know it's quite a long managerial career he's had so far, and he's still got a way to go as well. So I, I've been very impressed with him, and and it's another that's an, exactly as you say, Terence. It's an example of something he's doing that I, I think shows him in a very good light. Albert, yeah, I think with with Pardew, if you if you remember Ian Wright's comments last time we were on BT, he says that you know he went down to the training ground and Pardew's working with the players you know really closely, and if you sort of look into his comments that he made on. Um, Goals on Sunday this morning, you know, he was he was very honest about certain things and happy to criticise players when he needed to. And 
you can you know you can just see that he's he's probably working with Suarez and Kelly, and he's probably told them both, look, you know, neither of you are perfect at the moment, but you know we've got to work on it. And you you can you can tell that he's probably trying to tackle those issues. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, you say no pun intended. It's, yeah. All right. Um, the opening exchanges in the game, I think we saw Palace sitting a bit deeper than of late. Um, I don't think it was a ploy as such. I think the team had been maybe warned of the wide threat from Stoke. And I noticed again on goals on Sunday, Apaji was saying that they expected a different setup from Stoke. They thought Greg Whelan was going to play. Um, and when they had, uh, I think, well, when Charlie Adam was in there, they, it sort of caught them a bit, a bit by surprise. And I think that that sort of unsettled the team in the first half. And as such, well, Palace, the, the wingers were sort of focused on initially backing up the full-backs in, in wide positions, and, and, and Murray was isolated, and also Punchin found it hard to get in the ball early on. Uh, that was my kind of analysis of that opening period. Um, I'm not sure anyone else agrees. What did, you, what did you think of that opening spell, start of you, Albert? Yeah, we looked... Oh. Yeah, shall I go? Yeah, yeah go. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Uh, yeah, we weren't our normal selves. We, we weren't, um, you know, they were very much, I'm going to say, all up in our grills. Uh, yeah. You know they had their they had their tails up. They were up for it, I and mean, I, I, we didn't really know how to deal with it. And again, hearing Pardew say they expected Glenn Whelan to start, and that didn't happen, then uh, you know the team were on the back foot for a bit. But you know we we seen, the weird thing is we you know skipping ahead a bit, we we played much better in the second half. But you know technically we won the game in the first half, so it was yeah, a bit of a bizarre one, really. That that was odd. I give give it give it that for sure. And um, you know. I've, it felt very awkward winning the game in the first half on the balance of play, I think. Um, all right. Um, I sort of... Going on from that, really, I started to talk about Murray there, and I, I kind of... It's the subject I almost want to round off the um, round off the show on, but I, I can't really wait, really, to talk, talk about Glenn Murray. Um, he had a really hard job up against Shawcross and, and Wilson together. You think about Shawcross as a player. He's not particularly quick, but that doesn't really matter against Glenn Murray. He's physical... You know, tall, strong in the air. Um, and how? First of all, how, how did Glenn Murray sort of stand up against, well, effectively against two centre backs? What did you think, Tav? Well, it's it's a strange one, really, because he's come back from injury. He hasn't really. He did quite well at Reading, to be honest, because I've seen quite a lot of his, quite a few of his games there, and he sort of adapted quite well to their games as we expected in the Championship. But since Pard- since Pardew's arrived, he's been given a lot more opportunities. And he's just getting to the end of every ball coming because on Saturday we played quite a lot of long balls. In the start of the first half, they didn't quite work for us because we kept on losing the ball. Charlie Adam kept on getting to them and just he just made the most of them to be honest. But I think with Murray, I think last I think was it played QPR. QPR I thought uh, I think I said that he could be a very good Premier League player. And I thought that was a bit risky, actually. But I think he's actually starting to prove his worth as a Premier League player. He's not obviously the greatest Premier League striker you'll ever see, but he's definitely adapting to the scenes around him and the way in which the Premier League has played with this intensity. So I think, yeah, yeah. No, it's a it's a very fair point. I'm, there's there's a question in that that I'll that I'll come to. Um, in fact, no, let's do it now, and I'm going to ask it of of Terence. You think about. When Ricky Lambert came up to the Premier League, um, obviously he's a couple of years older than Glenn, um, and everyone sort of thought, wondered if Murray could do that. Is is there a chance that Murray's now doing that? Four goals in four games. You think all the three games that he started, we've won, and he's been pivotal in that. Um, 
you know, can we really look, you know, it might sound insane, but could he even look to try and emulate the, the, the situation that Lambert's found himself in? Um, I, th- I think he's a very different striker to Lambert in the sense that Lambert's got more of a long-range threat on him, like he's got more of a cannon. I know, uh, obviously, Murray scored that goal against Middlesbrough from outside the box, but the rest of his goals tend to come from in and around the penalty area. But in terms of being becoming a Premier League striker, for, you know, he's made that st- he's making that step up. It's the first time that he's been fit since his injury, properly fit, and. Yesterday, up against two centre backs with you know a lot of Premier League experience between them, he really got in and amongst them and he occupied them well. And that's one thing that our strikers haven't been really doing this season. Like when you've got Fraser Campbell in there, isn't they just don't occupy the two centre backs as much as they should. And Glenn Murray's been doing that, and as a result, it's been we've been able to play a lot further up the field as he's keeping us in more advanced areas. Yeah, sorry, I'm getting getting message at the time. I was, I was I promise you, I was listening to what you're saying. But yeah, he is, he is a very different player. I, I can agree with that. But I don't know. I, I, let's uh, to take another comparison. I, I was looking at him up against um, Peter Crouch, and for Pete, Peter Crouch is a player who obviously he's got that aspect of his game where he's a very very tall player. Um, so <laughs> he's going to play a certain way, isn't he? Like the arms are all over the place, but he does an awful lot of holding. He almost drapes himself over defenders. Um, where we, we look at Murray and we say he's such a clever player, he wins a lot of free kicks and all that sort of stuff. But I look at someone like Crouch and it's, it's almost cheating for me. I just, I was a bit of a, you know, is, is Murray a bit more like Crouch, do you think? Um, Hmm, that's an interesting one. It's a it's a similar style because the ball does get put up to him a lot, and he battles well in the air. Um, and Murray can really, really get up. I was um, I remember the first time I saw him with like in, I met him and he was stood in front of me, and he's actually shorter than I am, and I'm I'm six one, and I just assumed on the pitch he looks massive compared to me, but he's like he was narrower than me as well. But on the field, he just looks like an absolute beast of a man and he really like mix it with a fit like with you know bigger center backs um but i don't yeah he's good in the air as is crouch i guess but i don't know he's kind of more more old more unique i think murray he's kind of like um more a bit more old-fashioned of a striker where i wouldn't say peter crouch is an old-fashioned striker because he's unique in himself as well but just because of his sheer height and gangliness and he's got quite a good touch Peter Crouch as well he's quite good on the ball gangliness I like that it's not a stat on FIFA is it <laughs> <You don't... laughs> but, um, it'd have 99 that's for sure he would, he would indeed yeah I suppose where I'm going with this is how, is how long could Murray play at this level do we think you know has he changed our minds we were looking for a replacement um, for any well for all of our forwards effectively um, in the transfer window is that still on the cards or are we potentially looking at him and saying actually he knits together this this front three that we've got so well that we're actually looking as looking for for backup to eventually replace him rather than an immediate replacement. I'll let you take that one, Albert. Uh, I well, it's it's a tough one, really, without knowing who's available and you know what our budget is and you know who we're looking at. He's he's not a long term solution, is he? You know, as listen, I've I've been on this show and said I don't think Murray's the answer, and you know I'm happy to be proved wrong, certainly over the last few games. But he's not he's not I. Heart of hearts, I'd, I'd be disappointed if we had a, finished the season, had a pre-season, and the first game of next season we started with Glenn Murray. I don't know, that yeah. sounds cruel, but 
he's not the long-term answer for me. I, and you know, even in the short term, I don't know how confident I'd be if we were, you know, if we were playing one of the top four, one of the top four teams. You know, I know he came on and changed the game against Arsenal, but you know, if we went, if we go away to Stamford Bridge or somewhere, and we start with Glenn Murray, and he's up against John Terry and Gary Cahill, I'd, I'd, I'd worry about how effective he would be in that role. But you can say that for every 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 player going up against the top four side. Mm. No, I think that's that's a fair comment, but I guess we'll get to see. We've you know we've got those teams coming up, um, and we, we're going to have to see how how he gets on. And I suppose if he gets <clears> on brilliantly, and I, I guess we're we're sort of you know he's, he's got a chance. Really, he's got again. He had a chance after going out to Reading. He had a chance to get in the team. You know more more luck than anything. Just a few injuries and what have you. But now he's he's taken that chance. It's another chance for him to stay in that team. And at the moment, you've got. When you know when Pardew's talking about the wingers, he's talking about having this experienced guy who knows what to do in there already. He's he's very much with Glenn Murray in the present, and I'm just wondering how long it'll go into the future. Uh, Terence, you've got a couple of things there. Yeah, I mean, you've got to give him a chance in those games against the bigger teams because you, if you look, strikers coming up from the Championship at the moment are, are not being phased by the Premier League at all. You've got Charlie Austin scoring goals for fun. Danny Ings is scoring goals. You know these players who haven't played in the Premier League before are coming up and they're making a step up. So, you know, you maybe we've got to have a little bit more faith in someone just and not just dismiss them because they haven't got that Premier League experience. You don't. Yeah, know but they've, like they've got time on their side, haven't they? They're, they're you know they're a good almost ten oh, years yeah, younger. You know, I agree. I'm not saying Murray is clearly not a long-term replacement. He's maybe got two seasons left in him at best. But yeah, I'm, I'm, but I mean, at the moment, at this moment in time, I wouldn't be disappointed if he's our main striker next season, based on the form he's showing at the moment. Because you, you can't argue with four in four. No, you can't. And it, like I said, I just think he's made he's made other play, players play better, particularly the wide men. Um, and he, he just links so well with them, and we saw that again in in this game with the the flick on header to Will for the goal, which we'll we'll talk about in a minute. I mean, I could I think it's a subject I can always talk about continuously, Glenn Murray. I just think this he, he's he's shocked me about how well he's done. Um, and like I say, I'm still my gut feeling is still um, that he won't you know he won't be the, the long term replacement, and we will try and get someone in the summer. But I think you know he's got a chance to change people's minds on that. And let's talk about the Stoke goal first of all. You know, Palace were being pushed deep and giving away silly fouls. And, and in fairness, very unlucky with the deflection from Damien Delaney to, to Namibiram Juf. Uh, but the, I, I felt we invited pressure before that. Um, Terence, you were there. What was the view? I mean, what's the view at the ground of the goal? Um, well, um, this, the goal was, it just looks horrendous. You just had to assume it was offside inside the stadium. But obviously, it comes off Delaney and... Um, so obviously he's not offside. In terms of them, they were pushing us back, but Adam and Nzonzi were just all over us in the middle of the park for the first 15 minutes or so, maybe even first half an hour. They were just pressing us really high up the field. And there was more of a, a want from Speroni to play the ball out short in this game. Like the two uh, centre-backs kept pulling out wide to the edge of the area. And every time we was doing that, they were swarming all over us in that sense. And... Um, it, as a result, it pushed us back. So I don't necessarily think it's morale bad play. I think it was Stoke did exceptionally well to stifle us from playing, which is a compliment in itself because they were set up to stop us from playing. And that shows in that they didn't sh- create many, very many chances. They just sort of stifled our play and kept us penned in our half of the field and stopped us utilising our threats. But they didn't look like they were going to score. Yeah, it's funny enough on um, watching the, the, the game... 
uh, myself, I, I felt, I mean, I was watching it on, uh, I'd actually downloaded it after the event because I was uh, doing a radio show during it. But anyway, there was... Um, moonlighting. Back, moonlighting again, yeah. They, um, the commentators was, were going, oh, Stoke are so dominant in this first half. But when the stats actually came up, they were they had 53% to 47% possession. Um, but what, what they, it just, they just came across as more dominant than us because um, I think because... The, the possession Palace had was just passing it around the back. And, um, and like you say, Terence, the closing down happened almost as soon as we crossed the halfway line. Um, they cl- closed it down and, and their midfield just overran Palace almost constantly. And it was, it was very difficult. And obviously that, the goal went in and then you, you kind of almost feared the worst because, OK, it was a lucky goal, but you have to be resilient there. And there was actually quite a, quite a good instant response went straight on the attack but the passing was just a little bit off and there were a lot of niggly challenges from Stoke that, that kind of disrupted the rhythm and then it just ended up going back and playing into the hands of Stoke and you kind of thought you know if anyone's going to score again in this half it will be Stoke they're closing down the angles they're trying to force us to play long ball and like you say Terence, that was them countering our, our methods and trying to force us into a long ball game to an isolated striker which was very interesting to watch um, and see the team handle this. <laughs> Ironically, it went completely against them in the end. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. They had an inability to defend the straight ball. Um, on that, let's let's talk about the penalty. I'm going to start with you, Tab, and get your view on it. Um, so Balassi ch- chased a hopeful one of those hopeful long balls into the channel from James MacArthur, I think it was. Um, on the the replay, of course, you can see the foot's high, um, and really, you expected the, the the decision to go the other way. What was your your view of it when you first saw it? I think when I first saw it, I think I was sort of like. We sort of need we need this penalty, but I never I wasn't expecting it to happen because to be honest, he just came running even before I seen the replay. I was like, he's gone running into the keeper. He was he had his eyes on the ball. So did the keeper. So nothing was ever going to happen. But he had his foot up high. So I thought I thought if anything, that's going to break us down again. The rest of the half's going to go against us because to me, the penalty itself was a turning point in the game. I think if we didn't get that penalty, I think we would have struggled for the rest of the half. Zaha arguably wouldn't have got that goal, that second goal. Uh, but I think it was something... I mean, I don't think Bellati was even looking for it, to be honest. He was just no. thinking, I just want to get on on goal. So he was just doing everything in his power to actually do it. But I think it's, personally... Yeah, no, it's funny, funny you should say it that way. Um, that's kind of that's where my sort of flip side of this is going to come from I think um but Albert you obviously you want to talk about the um the penalty as well what was your view nailed on no (laughs) I've I've got a problem with the okay it's not the it's not the clearest penalty you've ever seen you know and you, you wouldn't have been surprised if if they'd given a stoke free kick but I've got an issue with the Blassie's foot you know, bless his foot's gone in high. His foot's up high because he's 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 watching the ball come over his shoulder and he wants to bring it down. What you know? What else is a football? What is, is an attacking footballer supposed to do? You know, the keep. He he'd have been aware that probably the keeper's going to come steaming out. And all right, the keeper. You know, the keeper's got a, a light touch to it, but he's all he's also clattered into Balassi as much as Balassi's clattered into him, hasn't he? Really. And yeah. you know, the go- the goalkeeper's already at an, an, an advantage that a he's much taller than him, and b he's allowed to use his hands. So I don't. Uh, it's it's a very grey one. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't see the uproar about it. You know, I can yeah. see why he gave it. Uh, okay, that go on, Terence. You, you jump in. Glenn Murray, two words here. That's why we won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, go on. You, 
you watch the footage back. As soon as Palacio goes down, Murray's right next to the referee and he is right in his face, mm. appealing for the penalty. And is he all up in his grill? He was all <laughs> up in his grill, Mark oh, two. Yeah. that's interesting you say that I didn't pick up on that myself that's good Um, what I felt um, in all honesty I I can see I can see for me it's in the category of I would not like it if it was given against us but I have seen them given in the past it's in that category Um, and again I don't see the the absolute uproar about it Um, what I do see is a keeper who's who's a bit reckless in all fairness when he's come out for the ball i think I unfortunately i thought unfortunately from the palace from well from the stoke perspective really um but i, I think I, for me balassi has, has lifted his foot too high if he doesn't lift his foot and the collision happens um i think it's a clear-cut penalty because his foot's as high as it is i can i can see the argument that it shouldn't have been given or it should have been given as a foul but um, I do, as as a biased Palace supporter, obviously, I do come back to the fact that Begovic really shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have come for that ball. He was not going to get it. Uh, he had a defender covering, and it, it was reckless for him to try and try and get there. And the fact that he got a, a feather touch to it as he was colliding with Balassi doesn't really excuse it. He, you know, he's not comfortably got there, and he has collided with a player. So, um, no, it's unfortunate for for Stoke, but we took full advantage, and what a penalty it was. Um, I, I, I've, I don't know if I've ever I've seen a penalty hit at that angle because it's rising as it's hit the roof of the net on the inside. It's um, it's phenomenal. I, I loved Alan Green's commentary on Match of the Day. <laughs> just, <Yeah>. Wow! <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah, just went, wow. And he's absolutely right. It's, I mean, it, when you first, when I first saw it, I first saw a clip of it on my phone while I was supposed to be presenting another, another thing. I was looking at it and and I thought first of all, oh, he's hit that top corner. But then seeing it back. Like in proper a proper view, and he's it's sort of, it's central, but I just I don't know how he's done it. It's it was not that dissimilar to Kevin Phillips' playoff penalty, um, other than in straight. And like I say if, I don't think if the net net hadn't been there, he probably would have killed someone with that. It was just it's, it's certainly a way to dispatch a penalty. Loved it. Um, but the real shock, I suppose, is what happened shortly afterwards. Um, actually, no, let's talk about it before we do. Um, the Stoke player reaction was to um, surround the referee again. We've, we've heard a lot of talk about this in the media about Chelsea players and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things I noticed, I've written a, I've written on my notes a very rude word about him, but I'm not going to read that out. But uh, Mark Hughes, not exactly leading by example, has gone marching out of his technical area and up the line. Um, they're a bit of a... They're sort of, they play in the, the style of their manager, I think, in a way. Stoke, they've had that kind of reputation from Pulis's time there being you know, a very physical side but now they're just a whinging side they're just a, a side of self-entitled players and you know sly little digs here and there and I was just really disappointed to see that okay you know it's one of those things you do moan don't you when you get a decision that goes against you but I thought they were very what, bitter. What do you expect when Mark Hughes is your manager? <laughs> exactly. I I... You're going to get the same behaviour he's, he's, he's a disgrace that man. <laughs> He's, he's, he's probably the one influencing on them, to be honest. He's probably in the dressing room thinking, oh, if this happened, did that happen? I can't believe he did this. So he's just grabbing, grabbing onto the players and they're thinking, if he gets away with it, surely we can too. Well, yeah, I think he, I think he's certainly winding them up and getting them to... Because they were... It's not just the... I mean, Alan Pardew touched on it in these post-match conferences. He said that um, 
you know, it was a difficult game for the referee because it was a very phys- it was fair, but it was physical. And he said from both sides. But I think Stoke were very, very happy to mix it up. Um, and and like I said, there was a lot of sly things going on, a lot of sort of holding and pushing and tripping and, you know, little digs in the ribs here and there. It was all sorts going on all over the pitch continuously. Um, you know, I suppose in a way it kind of added to the excitement and we've come out with a victory. So you almost don't mind really, do you? Um, Albert? Yeah. Does anybody play Mario or anybody used to play Mario Kart? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, well, yeah. I mean, I haven't played it for about fifteen years. But do you remember the? Uh, do you remember Bowser's Castle? That sort of level. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the 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 big concrete blocks that used to come down the floor? Mark Hughes, have a look. Mark Hughes has got a head like one of those concrete blocks. <laughs> All right. Now, Albert, you're going to be doing your best to go in the chat room, aren't you? Oh. Yeah, oh, whole radio.net forward slash chat. Um, and I've got to be honest, nobody said anything particularly interesting in there worth reading out. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to throw, throw it down to the chat room to up your game, please, <laughs> if we're going to do this. Well, well, that they're, is not the way to get them on side, is it? Is it? No, well, they're, they're, they're slating off Alan Green on BBC. Mm. Um, you know. Uh, he, oh, that's harsh. You know, Listen, he's only there. Yeah, for the anniversaries, he's an old man, and he's got a great voice. He's I mean, obviously senile, but they're now they're now <laughs> slagging me off. Actually, to be honest, yeah, that, I was going to uh, say that that was going to follow inevitably. Um, no, the only re- the only reason there's not much to read out is because I've only been in there about thirty seconds, and we, you know, there's there's just a gen- <laughs> there's just a general discussion. You know, there's no. Right. Um, well, um, I'm sure you'll be picking out some gems soon enough for us to uh, to talk about. I uh, did notice we get some tweets in earlier on. Simon Goddard was getting in touch when we were talking about Papa Soiree. So the reviews he saw on Papa prior to his to us buying him said he was good going forward and needed to work on his defensive duties. And I think that rings very, very true there. If you do want to get in touch with us, you can do so uh, at HOL Radio on Twitter. Um, you can get in the chat room and get abused by Albert. That's HOLradio.net forward slash chat. <laughs> or you can go to HOLradio.net forward slash contact and email us or whatever there. It's all there. All there, all on that bit, that page that I just said then. Um, it's sort of a bit of a delay while I sort of click through some things on my phone because we did get some messages earlier, bear with me. Um, no, that's about Pulis. I'll come back to that later on. It's embarrassing. I thought it was a message that was relevant and it wasn't. Bad times. Bad times. Uh, Paul at the World Sea has said we outstoked Stoke. They didn't like it at all. Uh, did the physical side of the game really well. Um, that's, I think that's a, it's a very good observation. I would Say I wouldn't necessarily say that's the way we 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 actually set up to play, but it's really nice that we know we can we can do that. And I'm not surprised. You think about the characters that we've actually got in our team. I'm not surprised we can mix it in the uh, on the physical side of the game. But, um, there was a noise there. Yes, yeah, sorry, I'm not watching El Clasico. I promise. <laughs> Are you sure? Because it sounded like you'd just seen a, like a chance go quite what's close. The, what's the score? A beautiful, someone you... just a beautiful back heel through to Ronaldo to score to make it one-one. All right. Okay. Um, you think? I mean, that's how. You, if you were, if you were watching the game, that's what would just happen. Okay. Yes, exactly. It was quite amazing, <laughs> to be honest. It was. Oh. It, it, it warranted the sort of Gary Neville-esque orgasmic groan. <laughs> oh. Um, we were talking just before we started getting ourselves distracted, which I'm <laughs> guilty as anyone. Um, we talked about Murray thumping it in. Was anyone worried when he stepped up to take it? Yes. Yeah. 
No. I can obviously. He's when he's on a hat trick. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. He does only miss when he's on a hat trick. <laughs> um, all right. So, Zaha goal. Long pump forward from Spironi to the head of Murray. Classy flick on. Uh, Wilf shown awareness and pace. Wasn't really in the game up to that point, really. And uh, but pro- I wouldn't say it's, his, it's not his best goal for Palace by any stretch of the imagination. But it was almost the most assured sort of sensible finish. He usually goes to blast it, tries to knock the uh, leather off the ball or whatever. And, and it's, it's I a think great it's a, finish. It's a really good sign to see him do that. That type of run. I think he could do a lot more of that, Albert. Don't you reckon? Yeah, judging by that, I think you know. Last week, all the talk was about how. Um, Zaha and Blassi have been instructed to get into the box more and you know and you could tell that was apparent he was looking for that flick on and you know I don't know what the Stoke defence were doing they were, they were dithering around like a couple of pensioners and um, you know <laughs> when, when, when you've got that much pace you know you, you, you're going to get yourself into the position and put the you know tucking it in at the near post you know really hit it as well I thought it was a great finish mm. I was yeah, so impressed um, that's, obviously that's two in two for him now and I think we've been we've been asking this question a lot and saying has Wilf formed has he turned a corner is he you know obviously he's going very much in the right direction he's um you know he's doing incredibly well but he he I don't know he's still when he got to, I noticed when he got took off, taken off the pitch he was sort of shaking his head and a little bit angry and you could see he was um, Peters had been getting to him a bit the, the Stoke left back had, had sort of got really tight and physical with him and. You know, it didn't still didn't quite see see him sort of smiling so much. But obviously, he really enjoyed the goal, and it was great to see him celebrate like that. But I think he's um, he's still work in progress. I, I think Peter should have gone for me if we're going to complain about refereeing decisions. There was definitely a case for a second yellow. Yeah, I can remember very early in the second half. Actually, the refs turned to him and said, "Be careful." You could see him mouthing, "Be careful" to him. He fouled. He was on a yellow and, and fouled Zahar quite badly very early on. Um, I quite like that from from Andre Mariner. It's taken a lot of stick for the game, and probably from both sides. In all fairness, but I thought it was, that was good. I like to see a ref who doesn't want to spoil a game, even if it was to the sort of detriment or disadvantage of, of my team. I think warning the player, just saying, you know, hold on there. I probably can't, almost I should have booked you there. Um, and you could see Peter's reaction was actually quite, you know, quite rest, sort of restrained. He sort of acknowledged the uh, the warning really. So I don't know. I quite like that from Mariner. Um, but it was, it was a great time to score as well, wasn't it? Last kick of the, the game. And <clears throat> excuse me. And I was just a little bit worried about what might actually happen after, you know, when we came out in the second half. Obviously, Stoke had done so well in the first half. I wondered what we'd see and whether we'd see us try and protect the lead. But we didn't. We came out and it was it was like watching a, a different team. It's a bit of a cliche, but it, it really was. Uh, complete confidence. Restricted Stoke to. Um, until the end, when they really started throwing people forward, restricted them to a lot of, uh, you know, to, well, to not very much the occasional sort of long-range attempt or something like that. Not, not too much happened. Um, so before we get to the heroics from Julian Speroni, um, James McArthur was booked for diving. What do we think? To have a get a view on that. Uh, first, of all, <laughs> first of all, I thought it was harsh because personally, I know people will disagree with me, but I don't think he was looking for it. He was sort of just looking over to see, have I got it? But I think it was more of a, he was, he was <laughs> going for the ball and just like, I want this. But I personally don't think he was looking for it, so I thought it was quite harsh. Yeah, okay. Um, I, think he, 
on the mm-hmm. upper body weights because it did look like he was just outstrengthed. I think anywhere else on the field, that's a shoulder's a shoulder. It's just yeah, play on. Yeah. You're not going to get booked for diving there. It's only because it's in the penalty area. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. As he feels the contact, he's probably going down for the penalty. But it was just he was outstrengthed and he's gone down. And I can see why the refs booked him. But I think, like I say, anywhere else on the pitch, I don't think he gets booked for that. You just play on. Um, Albert. Uh, I've, I've, I agree with Pardew. To be honest, I thought it was a pretty, uh, pretty soft dive, and I like, I like to have semantics to saying he wasn't looking for it. He was just checking if he'd got it. Uh, he was, lo- he was looking for it. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, I, 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 he's definitely looking for it. He's, he's, he's got, he's felt the contact. He's gone down, but you know, if he's stronger there, he could have just held his man off and got a shot off. But he just. Well, that's what, shot. yeah, that's what Pardew said, didn't he? he said he, I'm surprised he didn't get a shot away. Mm. But, I think yeah. that's I think that's 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 the end of it really is that is the case it was it was he went down a little easy but I think if you look at the feet the feet make it look worse than if you don't pay attention to the upper body contact uh, it really does look bad it just looks like he sort of splayed the feet out and tried to win you know tried to con everyone but yeah there is contact on the upper, upper body he realizes he's not quite going to get the shot away that, that he should have perhaps got because he's been a little bit you know a bit a little bit slow to react and he kind of, I think Pardew said that as well that it was pressure, wasn't it? So pressure does that to you when you think when you want to win the game, you know, and you're so desperate for these points, and it, you know, winning that game has, has effectively, you hate to say it, but has effectively put us safe, isn't it? You know, um, you don't like to tempt fate, but but we're, we're safe. <laughs> I'm going to keep saying it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I just yeah, I thought we better touch that. I thought Dan had. Um, we'll sort of move this on quite quickly. We've got plenty to talk about. We're going to talk about the. Um, the Homestale Fanatics, uh, well, the protest, the sort of fallout from the protest discussion we had last week, really. I'll explain a little bit more about that in a moment. But um, finish off a few things about the game. Dan had a wonderful chest and volley. Strike his instincts. Absolutely loved watching that. And it took a little nick off of James McCarr from before he hit the post. But um, if that was good to see, it, that shows confidence to me. That's, that shows a really confident team to go out there and just try those things. And, um, but I suppose the, the last bit of controversy... Uh, before we talk about the Spironi saves, was Joel Ward? Um, yeah, Terence, to start with you. What, penalty? Uh, um, it was right. At the, it was at the other end of the ground, so it was really oh, hard okay, to, yeah, yeah. to see. Obviously, I've seen the replay since, but um, yeah, he, he saved it with his arms, hasn't he? Really? <laughs> I've, um, forgive me if I'm not going to cry too much for Stoke, though, because you know. The amount of penalty decisions we've not been awarded this season, it's nice to be on the end of the the right end of some wrong decisions. Yeah, exactly. We did talk about it earlier in the, the year on this show, talking about things even in themselves out, and we were laughing and joking about how that might actually happen. There's been a few recently where you think actually that is fair, it is starting to even itself out a little bit, but um, I still think we've got um, a fair way to go before things have been even for this season. Uh, but I suppose it's weird, isn't it, when you start being a bit braver than, than we had been, like we have been under Pardew, You almost you start to make your own luck again, don't you? It's, yeah. I suppose when you you know when you're a bit hesitant and you're just you're, you're battling. Sometimes you look at Leicester. Leicester battle every every game. Play you know play well most games. Um, you know get themselves they go behind they get themselves back in it. But there's just all the luck, all the little ricochets, all of that seems to go against them. And you know that I think for me that comes from Perhaps you know a little bit of um, well, the manager just does seem to have lost his mind. Let's put it that way. But um, I think having a positive uh, outlook and, and going out there and sort of backing yourselves to go and beat teams, 
I think that that's where you start to make your own luck, I think. Um, have we got anything in the chat room, Albert? Yeah, we have. Um, on uh, James McCarthy's dive, DJ Suarez says, I don't think it was a dive either. I don't know what the fuss was about. Uh, any Palace fan says MacArthur could have easily kept running, made a great shot, great spot. Um, on Joe Ward's block, Robert CPFC says it would have been harsh. Coach Matt reckons that Ward's going to be our keeper for the Cup games next year. Um, Booted Eagle wasn't intentional, but I've seen them given. Uh, and any Palace fan, depends on where the ref is standing, Ward through his body, no intention of using the arms, which I agree with, actually. If you, if you yeah. see it again, when he initially dives in and his hands are up in the air, I think if it catches him there, I think it's a penalty for me. But ultimately, he's, he's breaking his fall. You know, there's, it's, a, it's a small gap between his sort of torso and the ground. The ball's gone in there. He, he doesn't know the ball's going there. So that, I don't think you can call that intentional. And I don't think it's well, a penalty. My, my thought process was this. It was, you know, Mark Hughes says it was a penalty. So on that basis, it's not. That was my, <laughs> that, that was my initial thought process. He's, he's a block of concrete. What does he know? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but then I thought, okay, I started to think like yourselves. It, it's unintentional. Um, so you, it's an unintentional handball in the box. So, you, you know, the ref is right not to give a penalty. But then I started thinking, you know, obviously it, it has missed his body. He's gone out there to block it with the body. It's missed it. Um, and it does prevent the shot going in on goal. So I, I have to say that's a penalty. But then the only argument I've got against it is, is this. You, you kind of say, where else can he put his arms in making the challenge like that? Not, it's not unnatural for his arms to be where they are in that, in challenging in that way. Um he has to make that challenge because you know he's he's putting his body on the line. There, he's, he's a defender trying to block a shot. He's got to make that challenge. But I suppose you can say that about a lot of things when when in the penalty area when th- when things are given, you, you've got to go for that ball or you've got to make that challenge. And if in the result of having to do something, you commit a foul, which a handball is, I suppose sometimes you've got to say it's still a penalty. And although the intention wasn't to handball it, the intention was to get his body in the way of it. His body, it's missed his body and it's, and it's hit his hands, which are only there because he's made this, this last-ditch challenge. So I don't, I don't know. I, I would, again, it's, it comes under the category of given a, you know, not given for us, I would be very, very disappointed and I'm very, very bitter. And I'm, I can only be delighted that it happened to Stoke. <laughs> um, Julian Speroni uh, taking a bit of not stick I don't think well stick from some quarters maybe but most pa- Palace fans have just raised questions and just talked about you know are we seeing the decline of this this club legend a little bit you know is his uh, reactions slowing down I think no <laughs> no they're not judging by this, this game um, reaction saves there's a reaction save with his face from Jeff that was just class to get there uh, the stop from Ireland was superb. It's, it's, it's just this is what he's great at, you know, close range shots, reacting brilliantly. Um, the, the sort of tip over um, from the free kick was immense. He had to he had to wait for that, and then at any touch, that ball can divert anywhere. So he can't move until the very very last moment, and then his just reactions to that are just phenomenal. I go back to. I watched it the other day, funny enough. I watched the highlights and the other day of the playoff semi final on YouTube. It just happened to come up as a suggested video after something else. I thought, oh, what the hell? I watched the 12 minutes of highlights from the playoff semi. And the save from Ashley Barnes in that, where he, just this hand comes out of nowhere. It must move in about, it must be a quarter of a second for it to raise. Just flick up and knock the ball onto the bar. It's those sort of reactions. That's always been his game. It was just phenomenal. And, and I, I guess the. From what I could tell, that the hero worship at the ground was uh, well deserved. Um, good, nice and loud in support, wasn't it, Terence? 
Yes, very much so. He, need, he needed it. He needed that game. And it's not just one save that's kept in there. Several saves in that game. And just his general all-around performance was very, very good. You know, even look at talking distribution. He put the ball into Murray's head for the assist for Zaha's goal. So there was an improvement there. But uh, the save from Diouf is good. The save from Ireland is good. The save from the free kick is amazing. As Obviously, as a goalkeeper myself, when it comes to a crowd of players like that, you see it very, very late. And his reactions were incredible there. And to get it, the, the strong palm, to get it up and over and out of danger's way, which, again, he hasn't been doing so much of recently. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I think it was really well timed for him this game. Indeed. Um, and that leads us nicely on to talking about man of the match. Um, I think Balassi had a lot of a lot of key moments in the game. Um, obviously did a, full, a really good shift over 90 minutes and was just a constant threat. Um, I think... Wolf had moments in the game. You couldn't you couldn't ever call it a man of the match performance because he spent a lot of it a bit quiet. But he never stopped working, um, which was really good to see. And he got his rewards and was absolutely clinical when he needed to be. So, you know, got to give some kudos to Wolf there. Uh, Macarthur, top class once again. I think for me, he was, he was superb. And I and I'm torn between Murray and Murray and Spironi, two of the old stages. Um, I think it was just a huge shift from Murray. He had to really work hard to stay in the game in, in the, the spells where we had very little possession and where, where he was left isolated. And he, he never let up. He never stopped chasing things down. And I mean, that, that's great to see. It's great to see him in, in that level of confidence and form and fitness, most of all. Um, and but then Spironi was just there when we needed him. You know, and at least two of those saves, you've got to say, uh, are as good as any goal you'd score smashing from 30 yards kind of thing. Um He's still got it. So I have to say probably Jules scrapes it for me. I'm just trying to see. Um, I think we did get a suggestion in. Yeah, Paul at the Wild Sea said Jules was easily man of the match. Um, and Anna's gone for Dan or Spironi on Twitter. What do you guys think? And we'll have a look at the chat room as well in a bit. Go on, I'll uh, start with you, Gornia. Yeah, um, I think Spironi was the man of the match for me. Um, I think if he didn't make the saves he did in that second half when we were under pressure after, after a good start, I think we would have been... We would have been struggling if he wasn't in goal, I think. If Hennessy was given a chance, I don't think he would have got to some of the shots that Spironi did. I think they could have actually got quite easily past him because I think it's more of a matter of experience, the saves he made. So I think mm. he, was, he, he was definitely on top of everyone else, I would say. OK. Albert? Uh, Jules, by a country mile for me. Um, everyone in the chat room seems to agree. A few, a few sort of outside votes for... Murray and Ledley, uh, someone wants to give it to both Murray and Jules, uh, Coach Matt. We can't do that, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> get off the fence. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Baroni. He's just, I thought he was fantastic. You know, he's, he doesn't get 
he gets he gets as you said, he's been getting stick recently, and certainly the save from Stephen Ireland for for a keeper who's you know his height is often questioned. Uh, well, it's not questioned. It's you know we know how tall he is. It's you know it's uh, it's used to beat him with. He made himself incredibly big there, and um, I think yeah, he really deserved it. Man of the match by far. Terence. Choo choo choo. You know where I'm going. I do. Yeah. <laughs> And this, yeah, that, it sounded it's, a bit racist. <laughs> no, I have to say, I, I, it's so nice to be able to, you know, to, to hear everyone sort of almost unanimously saying that that Julius Brody was a clear man of the match. It's it, it's it's been a it's been a difficult few weeks, and like you say, Terence, he needed that. I think he needed that performance. You know, he needed to to be hailed as the uh, the hero once again. Uh, so many times he's done it for us, and, and hopefully many, many more as well. Um, last little word on the game leads us quite nicely into what we're going to talk about next. Um, the atmosphere, I thought, was was terrific. Obviously, the HF were there as, and had um, had a section to themselves and were loud and proud and, you know, uh, flag on display, all that kind of stuff. It was great, great to, to hear them all out. And, and just the whole support. The club did a wonderful thing in getting people out there for free. I think there were 17 coaches rammed into the Stoke car park. It was just, it was lovely to see the away end completely full. And Stoke, they do have low home support. You have to give them credit where it's due. And I, I know uh, an absolute mad Stoke fan and who, who's always talking about it. And he's really disappointed with how quiet they've become by you know, comparing to how they used to be. And he's very down on it. But um, I think that the atmosphere really was was lifted i think the palace fans lifted the stoke fans to to get involved and it it was a huge part of the game it was a huge part of the enjoyment of watching it back um watching you know what watching how the stoke fans spurred their team on at different times and the palace fans responded and and you know sort of seemed to lift the, the palace players it was that's that's what you want from an atmosphere that's the the fans the only part that they can really affect on the pitch is in in trying to inspire their team and i think both sides did that um, from being in the atmosphere, Terence, what was what's it like in comparison to a lot of the away days this year? Uh, I'm I'm going to disagree slightly with you. I thought okay. it was we excellent until the goal, and then as soon as they scored, we went quiet. The Stoke fans were singing, it's, it's all gone quiet over there. Although the irony was, uh, then they stopped singing. So <laughs> I, I don't see what their point was, but. It took until uh, once we scored through Murray, then it got good again, and it was great for the second half, as it would be when you're winning away from home. You you, you expect that it's just the, the norm, but it's still for me that it's not capturing that you know three nil down at home against Liverpool and still singing like crazy, yeah, and then getting back into the game for us. It's there's still that's our support at the moment is still action-based as opposed to actually just being non-stop regardless. So for that period between the goals, the only section you got singing are the, the homestyle fanatic section and everyone else is just standing there watching the game until something happens in our favour and then everyone started singing. Now, that's a, it's a fair observation. I don't, know, I don't know quite what it is. I think, obviously, last season, I don't know, I think last season it, 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 was, it was special at times. It really was. And... Um, and why it's not like quite like that this year, I don't know. But there's been, I, I, for me, there's been sort of signs that it's getting back there. Uh, I think now the pr- I think the pressure off of of us being safe. Um, I've said it again. Be in real trouble if I jinx it. But I think the pressure off of us being safe will hopefully allow people to relax a bit more because there's been a lot of tension uh, as well at the ground at games. Like you say, particularly when we're conceding and things like that. It used to be that you just sing louder. 
Uh, but people are getting, letting their frustration get a bit more the better of them. But I suppose that comes from raised expectation, which is not always a bad thing. You can, you can let your ambitions and your expectations go get higher. That, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, but it would be good if we can just remember just to support the team. Um, that leads us nicely on to what we were talking about last week. Um, hopefully you listened to last week's show, or live or on the podcast. And if you did, you would have heard um, us react to... Essentially what we were reacting to was the, the HF protest, where they, they did not sing. Um, they just decided to do what everyone else does. That's, you know, cheer the goals and occasionally join in with other songs. I think they were making a point that way. Um, it led to a bit of animosity between fans and the HF in general. Um, and obviously the HF put out a, a statement that got onto the internet, which we reacted to, which was uh, a suggestion that if, uh, two two members of their um, group had been banned for moshing. Um, and obviously what we what we led with was, we don't know what this moshing is. Um, the HF had also raised the point about Adrian Roberts being appointed as the security chief at Sellers Park as well, which raised concerns, which, again, I was quite vehement about because um, uh, he was involved in the situation regarding the wall against Brighton on Homesdale Road and all that kind of stuff. Um, and what happened in, in the back of that, which you know we gave quite strong backing um, to the, should we say, the motivation behind the protest rather than the protest itself, um, is that, that Steve Parrish got in touch and said he'd heard the show and, and wanted to put you know the point across, wanted to show what the band was for sorry, bands were for, uh, and why, that, why he felt he had to act. And to give it context, because it's, it's a completely fair point that last week we didn't have the full context, we didn't have the full information. We reacted to what was out there. And I suppose, in a way, that's, that's what the Homestyle Fanatics did. They reacted to the information that they had, um, showed solidarity with their group and did what they did. And I think it's really good to be able to put um, the other side to this. And I say the other side to this, it's really good to be able to put facts to it. Um, it, the the banning is it's for creating that dangerous situation where people would get injured and indeed one person does get injured. Now you could say that you know it's his own stupid fault for getting injured, but it's the responsibility, isn't it, of it is. well, of Steve Parrish and of, of that he he has to answer to a security council that you mentioned could could shut the stadium effectively. You're not trying to stop people having fun. You're actually trying to look out for people. You're actually trying <clears> to look out. You know he doesn't. It's not. It's not. He's not kicked the the guys out of the club for good. He said, "It's effectively a five five match ban, if you like." And said, "It is." Yeah. You you and, and he's done that because he felt that they were orchestrating, creating that situation. Uh, and when you when you look at it uh, again, I'm not. I don't want to stick the boot in on on the HF or anything like that. Um, I've got the utmost respect for what they do. But if I went and was jumping around like an idiot, and I'm not saying that's what they're doing, but I, if I was jumping around like an idiot and I broke a seat, which is quite likely with how much I weigh. <laughs> I would feel I would feel bad. Do you know what I mean? I feel bad about it. I would feel I would, I'm in my you know my club stadium and I've smashed a seat and you know and potentially whether it was my seat or not I don't know but I would feel very very bad about it. And I it think it's I very th- odd. I think essentially what well, he, he says this in the interview, but they'd lost self control. They all just got caught up in the excitement. It got a little bit too far. And they just need they just need to be told what's acceptable because what they do try to say is that they will try and self police what they do. Yeah. But the danger of that is when you all get involved in it, there's no one to control it. So you all just get carried away in the moment, thinking thinking it's fun. But then when you look at, look back at it, and probably well, they've got an interview. Actually. They've got um, a meeting with the club, two of them um, in in the lead up to the next home game. Yeah. And they will see the footage then. 
So hopefully that will sort of help draw the line of what is acceptable yeah. and what's you kind you would kind of hope that I mean that the issue got slightly blown out blown out of proportion and that the punishment that the reaction to the article that, that you put out seemed people generally feel that 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 the club were fair in what they did and that um, you know once it's all over and done with you can kind of just say well you know it was that we learned from it we move on kind of thing go on um, Terence I I completely disagree I, I I still don't see it as a fair ban all the front ten rows of the um, block B they know each other. So I'm um, I'm assuming there hasn't been any complaint to the club from this injured party. Well, I haven't. Then there's nothing said of that about that in the article. So it's a friend jumping on a friend, and so on. But there is just one more point, yeah. and then there's no there's been no clarification of this in the past. Of I'm, I've never seen anyone crowd surfing in the past, and I sit behind them. I've been to every game for the last five years, whatever. I've I've been to every game. I haven't seen crowd surfing before. So I can't see how this is a multiple-time incident. However, when um, <laughs> if you can invite you guys down, then surely they can invite the two main guys down from the HF and say, OK, we've got these cameras now. This is what we can see. This behaviour will not be tolerated. If they do this again, they will be banned. And there's clarification around right. that. Because at the end of the day, it's just some kids who are probably a bit drunk, having a bit of laugh with their mates, and they've got All a bit right. carried off. And All right. uh, yes, okay, it's only a five match ban, but you couldn't, there's no way that you're prepared to like offer this meeting. I know they're getting a meeting next week, but it's yeah. too late. They've already been banned. They could have made that clarification before they banned people and then said, you know what, this will not be tolerated. If you do it again, you're banned. All right, well, we'll come back to that. Albert, you, you've got a point to make on that as well. I'll take you up on a couple of things, Terence. Um, you have a slight, should we say, at the very least, a slight. Um, aversion to surveillance culture um funny enough i had a really good chat with um producer on the show mikey who who works i won't say where he works but he works in relation to cctv and he told me quite a lot of things about uh how that works and the licenses for using that and all that sort of stuff um which i found very interesting and then perhaps it's not quite as easy to be um so you know so uh it's not quite as easy to target people as i thought it was should we say um but anyway that that aside um, going back to the point you made on the injury, it's friends jumping on friends. You, you've got to understand, well, for me, you've got to understand that the club is still responsible for what happens in the confines of their stadium. You know, it, can, it could be the entire block could all be mates and they could all be, you know, chopping each other's limbs off. But, you know, it's, it's, it, you've got to be able to draw the line. And if the, and if the, fact, the fact is, if this unsafe behaviour is ignored in the you know, within the confines of the stadium, that the club are responsible for it. And if someone, you know, if a security council who's responsible for maintaining order in the stadium or maintain, or at least observing that order is maintained within the confines of the stadium says that's unacceptable. I also think that there's a knock-on effect to what else is unacceptable. What else are you not doing? What else are you not looking at? You know, why are these not, not sitting down? It works both ways in my view. But I, for me, it's not enough to say that the injury wasn't reported. It was someone's own, it was their own stupid fault. They're only hurting each other, all this sort of stuff. I think, Within the confines of the stadium, I think that the club have a right to respond to that. Um, and on the point, I, whether, I agree, but oh, I think yeah. there should have been. I think there should have been some clarification around it in saying this is what we can see now. This is unacceptable. I mean, well, that, that that's quite that's quite easy yeah. to do for me. 
on that, um, I'm sure I'm pretty sure in, in in a clip we've got a little bit later on. Tav asked that question and, and says, you know, have have you spoken to them before about the behaviour? And again, we're not party to those conversations. Uh, it'd be unfair of us to say, but I would only ask that from a logic point of view, that is is a warning enough when you say, say the the, the two lads who who got the bands were taken into a room, shown the footage, and told, listen, we've seen you do this. Nothing like this can ever happen again, or you will be banned. If a different two lads then go and do it, um, what you know they're going to say, well, hang on, those two got a warning. Why don't? Why am I being banned? They got a warning. I'm not them. You, know, you see what I mean? It's um, it's a bit odd. Oh, I, I think they have, yeah. they have an organized group of people and if you see um so they have whatever the leaders of the homesdale fanatics whoever yeah. they are they've they would be the people who are told and you disseminate that message down to your group that's how it goes yeah, playing playing devil's advocate if someone else who's not affiliated to the hf in any way starts doing it and then gets a bad you see what i mean i understand where you're coming from but i also think i i can I can understand why it was deemed appropriate to send a clear message. And you can, again, if you look, if you read Tav's article, Steve clearly felt that a, a clear message was required on this occasion, that it, it'd gone beyond the usual, um, you know, having a laugh, and it just got a little bit too far, and he wanted to make sure they understood that going too far isn't, isn't acceptable. You've got to sometimes rein yourselves in. Um, I, again, we, we, you know, the whole, the whole point of this is we are going to have different, differing opinions on it, but say so my opinion has slightly changed from it and we'll come to why that is in, in a moment, but I want to give the other guys a chance to speak first. It was you, Albert. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to get too heavily involved in it because I know it's a sensitive issue, but, um, you know, the way I look at it is there's, there, there's boundaries, isn't there? And they, they, if you look at, on a, if you look at the rules of a football stadium and what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do, what you're allowed to bring in, what you're not allowed to bring in, you know, I think the I think the HF are given an awful lot of leeway as it is. You know, the persistent standing, you know, that's that as a blind eye turned against it. You know, there's been issues with whatever you want to call them, smoke bombs, flares, as harmless as some people think they are. They're not allowed in football stadiums. They, you know, they don't get punished for that. But if 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 seats are getting damaged. And, and people, people are getting hurt. You, you have to draw the line there. And I know you can. Terence is saying that they're, they're a group of mates. They all they all know each other. But you know, in in, in modern society, there's there's such a huge blame culture. And, and somebody, if they wanted to, somebody got hurt, they could easily turn around and say, you know, it was an unsafe environment. No one's meant to be standing up. And you, you know, you can. But by the letter of the law, they could they could try and you know make a case against the club officially. And I think, for, you know, they, like I said, they get an awful lot of leeway. And I think at some point you have to, you know, it's a bit like a naughty toddler. At some point you've got to give them a cold hard slap across the back of the thighs. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they didn't uh, they'd appreciate that kind of analogy. But it is kind of, it does kind of ring true. But you do, well, I, you know, I've made stupid decisions and stuff when I've celebrated goals. or Well, even before getting into ground sometimes. Um, and, you know, the younger you are, the more often you don't think about consequences for other people all the time and it doesn't mean that you're malicious and you're doing it on purpose but sometimes it's just the way it is and, and the only way you can find out is by either something going wrong or someone stopping you doing it and I think really that's that's what it is we've got plenty going on in the chat room on this subject which we'll come to it in a moment but um, Tav you had a point to make as well yeah um, on the point of um, free CCTV cameras I know there are plans to put in more it's just a matter of slowly getting them introduced um, another point I wanted to make there is a limit you have to make, and I think this uh, this specific incident has set that limit because you cannot 
of people getting injured in a football stadium, even if it is among friends, that it maybe this time it wasn't that bad. But let's say in the future someone cut their head open because of it, the club would be liable for that. And then the club would be able to be much more harsher on the HF, they'd have to be much harsher on the rules they imply in the stadium, and then that could have knock-on effects itself. So this is more of I think it's more of a setting a limit. We've had it we've we're allowing you to do this, this and this, but this is not acceptable. I think this bans are a statement of if you continue to do it, we won't accept it. And you yeah, will be yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think sometimes it's a case of um, saying if you do that again, there will be con- consequences. Isn't quite as effective as showing people the consequences, I guess. That's um, so I do feel for the people who have been banned because when you talk about the HF, there's no doubting that you're talking about people who have um, you know a, a real serious passion for supporting Palace and creating an atmosphere. So you know those those two guys will be gutted, and not only that, the people who who they go with, you know, they're, you know, they're the people in their group, they're all part of a group. They all identify with each other and they all support each other. So, of course, they're going to be gutted as well. Um, I think, sorry, one, one more thing. I think what I'd quite like to do is an interesting experiment is wear my own body camera and film the stewards and then see the, how the behaviour of the people are supposed to be policing us. If, that, if they're angels, then okay, fair mm-hmm. enough. But I guarantee you they're not. And that goes from Sellers Park to all the way grounds as well. I had a conversation with a steward at Sellers Park in a Liverpool game. And I said, mate, look, I'm surrounded by Liverpool fans and they are getting a bit aggravated. And like they're, 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 you know, exacerbating a situation around us, people getting into arguments. And I said, what is, what, what do you want me to do in this situation here? Because I can see it coming to blows. And he said to me, they have every entitlement to be in the stadium and I was just like, excuse me. I was like, Liverpool fans are entitled to be in this part of the stadium. I'm, I'm sure that's not the case. And I said, so what happens if one of them celebrates a goal and someone has a go at them, and then it turns into a fight? Who, whose, whose fault is that? And it's a, the guy was just like, they have every right to be here. It's, it's, it's a good statement. That you're right. I'll tell you what. We'll come back to this. I want to, do want to talk about. Um, surveillance culture and that kind of thing in, in See, a second uh, with you but I'm very aware that we better get um, to the chat room while it's still relevant what we were being talked about Albert can you take us through a few of those and then we'll come back to this as you as you can imagine there's you know there's a, a, there's a shed load of feedback on this you know some people for the band some people against it um, Coach Matt says Croydon Council has the power to close our ground we have to get real um he also says, I love the HF. The page keeps refreshing. I'm really sorry. He also says, I love the HF, but sometimes you have to draw the line at that S-H-I-T. Um, Spelling it is still, still a swear, just so you know. Is it? <laughs> oh. Uh, booted Eagle, slapping a band seems harsh in my opinion. Um, what else have we got? <laughs> There's a couple of things I can't re- read out, but they're quite funny. Um, Ro- Robert CPFC says... I don't know why anyone does moshing in a football ground, singing and everything. Singing and everything else they do is fine. Uh, Boo says they've taken the, I can't spell it, uh, too many times, and now the club needs to do something. They've thrown their toys out the pram. So, yeah, you know, it's an emotive subject, isn't it? Because they do a great, great deal for the atmosphere and the experience of a, of a game at the Sellers Park. But, like I say, there's, there's a line, isn't there? And some people have differing opinions on where that line is. Yeah, I mean, pe- people will always differ in their opinions. You don't even differ in how you see an incident when you when you bl- when you watch footage. I think, um, but I, 
you know, at the end of the day, more, whatever you do, generally speaking, someone is going to say that there's a code of behaviour in this place, you know, particularly in a public place. But same thing when you go around someone house, someone's house. There's things you can and can't do in their house. I mean, I'm not saying they'll ban you from their house, but they might cause a fight or something like that. But you know what I mean? I'm just I'm trying to be, um, you know, sort of uh, as general as I can about this. But I, I, I don't think, you know, the trouble is with this is it ends up suggesting almost that, that bad behaviour only ever comes from the HF. And I, and I think there was a few interesting points that they raised. I do think... And again, I don't think it was deliberate. I do think the statement was a little misleading. And I always think that because it made it made out that they didn't, you know, what were you even being banned for? There was nothing wrong. When quite clearly, if they were there, they they would have seen that incident. And I, I would hope that they were aware that that was the incident it was for. Um, and, and I think they've got to be a bit more honest about that. And I, and I say maybe maybe it wasn't deliberate. Maybe they didn't have the full information. but And they do have to support their... Um, you know, the people in their group, but, and I also think there's some valid points being raised, and, and, that, and I'll bring us back to that, about surveillance culture, Terence, you were mentioning about um, filming stewards, and I think it might have even been in, you, you mentioned that you spoke to uh, Steve about it, Tav, where the people were talking about filming stewards, or I might have seen yeah, it on did, Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did, yeah. Well, there's, there shouldn't actually be any reason you can't do that, you shouldn't, there's, there's absolutely, actually no reason whatsoever in you know, within the confines of that football stadium, you can't get your phone out and film a steward. Um, if you're being filmed, you're, it's, and you're not doing anything wrong, you expect to be filmed as well. It's just a matter yeah. of, if you're being filmed, you expect to be. If you're filming yeah. something, you expect and, to be yourself. And we've, obviously, I've heard stories about stewards knocking phones out of people's hands. I know it happened at, um, at Leeds a few years back. I can remember seeing that when, that was, see, this is an example of something that the way the HF get a really bad treatment. I can remember how a few, I think it was a few of their lads, certainly a couple of young lads anyway, in black, who were really badly targeted by some quite unpleasant stewards up at Leeds. They had a response team that were proudly displaying certain tattoos and things like that that, which suggests you well, they weren't really interested in being a steward. They were interested in, in grabbing a few kids and having a fight. Um, so that can happen. So you should, you've always should have the right to um, to challenge people who are, you know, certainly in, in this, the case of filming. So, um, oh, Albert, you said me, not me. So that's a bit confusing. <laughs> Thanks for that, mate. That's <laughs> all right. I'm going to do that just a bit more, just to really derail you. Yeah. Cheers. Um, so back back to you, Terence. Obviously, you're making the point about female students. My point is, and I think I think pretty sure Steve agrees. As we'll probably hear in a, in a moment in the clip that that is something that 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 could happen if you if you felt the need to. But surveillance culture as a whole, I, I'm always going to be nervous of it, and I don't know whether it's you know because I read 1984 or whatever. But I just I I worry about the fact that it's. You don't you don't really know who's in control of it or who's making the decisions, and it's very very easy for something to be taken out of context, even in a in a video. And I'm not saying that there's anyone doing that at Sellers Park or anyone's got any desire to do that, but it's just it's just a worry. And the more the more san you, I worry that we go down the route of it being sanitised. And I know that, that Steve Parrish has spoken specifically about that about the fact he doesn't want a sanitised environment, and he's quite clearly demonstrated that by you know, as what's been referred to as the leeway that the HF already get at, at Sellers Park. And I'm completely on board with that. But I, I just think long term and I, and I worry about where the game's going. And the, the bigger point, the biggest point for me is I worry about walking around, you know, stadiums that used to be full of noise and colour and have been in the Premier League a little while and now are not. Um, you know, and I, and I don't want us to go that way. And I and I think part of that is is in how... 
the authorities or the, the higher masters that, that Steve Barrett referred to, how they view how the game should be going and how fans should behave and how things should be. Because um, you think about all the things that push, you know, ticket prices push a certain type of people into the grounds and a certain type of people away. And, you know, and then when you start getting, you know, the louder, more, you know, the more vocal noticeable support starts getting followed by police and you know heavy heavy surveillance on it and you know police intelligence trying to infiltrate it and all these sorts of things and you really worry about where why that is and where it's going i'm sure there's always there's always a reason that can be given for how good good a reason it you know is to do those things yeah i've definitely got to follow the hf because of i don't know uh they're involved in this that or the other i nearly said some specifics that'd have been unwise but you know what i mean it's like I wonder where it ends. Does that is that fair, Terence? Is that sort of where you were going? Yeah, I, I look. I, and <laughs> when you're in a state, I, you know, I'm trying to be careful what I say. Yeah. Everyone has done something questionable in a football stadium at some point in their football going career. Career. That <laughs> it's just it's what happens. You, everyone who goes to football likes to have a bit of a drink before the game. You get carried away sometimes and stuff like that. And we were talking about it the other week. It's much like when you're playing like trial by slow motion replay with mm. all these incidents. The more if you start looking at incidents from three different angles to try and like you're looking specifically for something wrong, you can yeah. you can search that whole stadium and you'll find people doing things wrong everywhere you go. Like I said, I said it. I wrote it in my after the QPR game the other week. Two people were slagging off the HF behind me. One who smokes a spliff in every half of every game I've ever been to since 1999, and one person, <laughs> and one person spends the whole time drinking whiskey out of a hip flask. So, <laughs> like, what happens when, it. It comes to them? when the camera footage yeah. comes on them and gets them? What, what are they going to say then? Now, what, what are they going to yeah. say? Oh well, do you see? I might come over. <laughs> 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 Sounds good. Um, I, I could think, give you a specific incident with me, and again, it's totally innocent, and I, I'll quite happily name name that as well. I was, I'd had a few drinks. We were up at Middlesbrough, and it was, I think it had been snowing and what have you. Certain, yeah, it was, it was just one of those things where you were all. It's in the Championship, so obviously you haven't got a huge number of people at Borough on a snowy winter's night, and um, but I was, yeah, I was three sheets to the wind is that the phrase yeah i was i wasn't good i was in a bad way and i drunkenly but you know affectionately tried to strangle jamie green if you know jamie green you'll understand why that was um and i and i and um i managed to essentially lose my grip of his neck and fall about five rows of seats down now that was all it was all you know it was all joke we we're all laughing about it and it, funnily enough a steward did speak to him about you know just sort of almost suggested that he'd throw me down there, which is which is funny in itself. But you know what I mean? If I'm saying, if you'd look to that, if you'd look to that on CCTV, you'd have seen me essentially attempt to strangle a, a, a young lad and then fall five rows of seats. So it's quite quite reasonable that that behaviour is unacceptable. Um, if you view it, but what? Yeah, it was totally innocent, and it was an accident. You know, I, I had you know I accidentally fell. I didn't try and throw anyone, and I didn't and I didn't wasn't thrown myself. You know, there was an accident. But on the flip side of that, I guess, I guess, you know, if I had been badly hurt, which I think if I wasn't so drunk, I would have been. Um, I think I just sort of bounced. <laughs> but, um, I just, I, I think someone who's responsible for that, because ultimately my safety, I suppose, is is the responsibility of 
um, you know, Middlesbrough Football Club, I guess. But so my point is, certainly that would have been viewed on CCTV. That would have been viewed in probably a much more negative light than it really was. Now, what really happened was I did something stupid and I fell. Um, but it could have looked much more violent and aggressive than that, and I conceivably could have got into trouble. So my question is, if that sort of thing happens to someone at Sellers, that exact same event, you know, is someone going to get into trouble for that? Is someone going to get on the end of a banning order? I'm not saying that that's what this incident means and all those sort of things, but I'm just saying that's the kind of thing that's now in debate when we start talking about, um, what if you want to call it, trial by CCTV or whatever. But I think when you look at this individual incident, to me it does it does seem a fair situation. Go on. Yeah, let's let's all sit down and politely clap because that's what they, what they seem they want to go towards. And I, I I say it over and over again. Every time I see one of those Barclays adverts, I, I want to vomit in my mouth. It's just ridiculous. They're there talking about how fans and passionate fans make football, yet everything that happens in in the Premier League is going towards actually just you're here to see a show. You're not here to show any passion. Just watch down, politely clap, and then when the game's done, leave. That's what it seems like it's been driving towards. Yeah. Let's have some whiskey. <laughs> I should tag that on the end. Mm, they should. I can look, I can understand that perspective, and you know, I, I'm certainly wouldn't wouldn't totally disagree. But at the same time, I can also see the other the, the flip side. I really hope that we continue with the the. I think CPFC 2010 have been brave in a lot of ways in and how they've handled the HF. I think there's certain. I well, I know for a fact. Um, Speaking to some some Tottenham fans, it was on a podcast. I think you were on Albert. <coughs> yeah, it was a bloody uh, good one, that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, just you and me chatting to Tottenham fans. They had a great one. Um, but anyway, they, um, they were talking about their own group of, of of ultras, if you like. They were trying to get going and all the problems that they were having, and they were talking about being jealous of the support that um, you know, the, the Palace that the HF have got from Palace. And I think that's a very fair. I think that's a very fair um, context. Anyway, we're gonna. We're going to end this. There's loads of questions I was going to ask and say, were the bans fair? You know, what's the right to pro- protest for the HF? Should Is it the right way or should they have waited until they had full information? Is there a better way that they can do this? Asking, we've talked about whether we're stewards, we're comfortable with stewards having body cams and CCTV watching us all. And should we be comfortable with that? Um, you know, but this is all about limits. This is all about having to make a decision and Steve Parrish being in a position where he felt he had to act. And he's taken that action. When you look at it in the cold light of day, it's not actually that severe an action. But it is really disappointing for any Palace fan to have to miss out on any games, you know. But at the end of the day, it is football. It's not snooker. We can, we want to, we want to, can we have a raucous atmosphere, an intimidating atmosphere and all be safe? I don't know. I don't know if we can. Um, it's, it seems to be we're pushed in different different directions, but I'm still confident that overall the club will try and get us to a position position where we can have our cake and eat it. There you go. Should we should we stop on that? We've we've, we've got um, <coughs> excuse me, about uh, twenty minutes or so of chat with Steve Parrish now, so we'll end it here. Uh, listen to the clip. Uh, sorry, I didn't get you a full word reviews. I've actually remembered this time, but for this, it's good reason this time. It's that we've been on too long. So um, have a listen to Steve, and we'll see you again next week, Sunday, 8pm. Bye. Steve, um, first things first, I guess. Um, we just sat there and watched all of the footage from um, of the incident. Um, so just to clarify for people at home, um, what were the people, what were the two members of the HF in question banned for? Well, I think, you know, they, they, they were banned for creating a dangerous situation where people would get injured. And, and you know, we can't get to a point where there's almost anarchy. You know, we're not seen to be in control of the ground and, and people are doing what they want. So, 
know, you've seen it. It's, it's people throwing themselves in the air from three rows back, you know, to land on top of somebody is not permitted behaviour in a football stadium. It isn't, no. You know, it's, it, 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 it's, it's quite clear what we have to do, you know, and people need to understand that we are not, you know, we have we have a higher masters to, you know, we have the safety council, we have people who can shut our stadium if we're not in control of it. And, of course, our first obligation is towards the safety of people. Right, we've got to make people safe, you know, and there's one kid has got hurt, you know, you've seen it, there's a, yeah. there's a guy that's got pretty badly hurt, it could have been a lot worse, people on the periphery could easily be caught up in it, a flying boot, you know, lose a sight of an eye. It's, they say, well, that's far back, were they? No, it's so far away from anything you're allowed to do in a football stadium, this is not celebrating a goal. I don't know what's going on on the pitch at the time, I would imagine someone's down injured. So, you know, it's just, we want the best that they have to offer. But sometimes it gets, they go, they, they cross the line. And we've had conversations with them about it. That shows them the level of detail that we've got. We'll just come, enjoy the game, give us the best they've got, create, help create the atmosphere, but not put themselves and other people in danger of being hurt. Have they had any prior incidents which they've been warned for? Yeah, generally, yes, we've spoken to them about the smoke bombs and uh, bangers and uh, swaying from side to side. I mean, that's probably the worst we've seen. So whether it's just we've never seen it before because we've never had the cameras and they do it quite regularly, but that's the worst. In terms of behaviour that could cause themselves injury and others, that's the worst that we've seen beyond the smoke bombs and the bangers. And the, which they've been great. We spoke to them about those and we haven't really seen those since then. We just we, we want them to come and enjoy the game. You know, we're, I think we're pretty liberal in terms of you know what we want them to do. We don't want to forget where we come from. We don't want a corporate stadium where everybody's sitting down nicely and watching the game. But we we have to be seen to be in control of the stadium. We have to look after people's safety, make sure they don't injure themselves or other people. And and across the line, and there's a couple of people there that are organising it. This is a message to them. It won't be tolerated. You're going to see out of bounds at the end of the season, and then as long as you're remorseful, we'll let you back in, you know, and come back and enjoy the game. Give us the best you got, you know. Are they criminals? Are, are they no, right? Am I? I don't want to demonise these two guys. They're not. They haven't hit an opposing fan, or do you know what I mean? But they've organised and been at the centre of behaviour that's not allowed in a stadium and could injure somebody. They're, 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 they're putting their own safety and the safety of others at risk in quite a major way with their behaviour. So it, it, it's just a message, look, we're going we're gonna to target the people that do things wrong, not the group as a whole. We're not going to target everybody with the same brush because there's a lot of people in there that are not, you know, they're doing, I've got no problem with what they're doing, right? So I don't want to demonise the group or target the group, but clearly they can't self-police because they're all watching it and nobody's stopping it. So that leads on to my next question. Do you think those who organised the protest were aware of the actual instance that led to the bans? I don't know. I think probably they, you know, they they think it's okay. I guess. You know, I think it, 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 it's it's just a, a lot of just messing around. You know, I've been there, been that age. I know you haven't quite got the same perspective then in terms of you know what's what's right and what's what's wrong. right and what's wrong. Um, 
and also your memory can dim you know if you're in the heat of that and they probably don't quite remember it no. as being quite as bad as it was you know but when they look back at that then. when they look back at that I think if they if they were watching it with me and you now and hopefully they, they, they will see that I don't, I don't think we're being we're being strong we're sending a message can't do it uh, you appointed someone as a security manager for the stadium was this a new position from when you took over well, not really because Kevin Corner did it before. So Kevin left, and as, as with a lot of clubs, you know, um, Kevin did stadium security, but also did operations at the stadium. But we have to have somebody, you know, one of our goals is to keep the police at the stadium. Not because we're anti the police, but we have to pay for them. So, you know, we've got a police free stadium. And this is the other problem. As soon as we're seen to be not in control of the ground, That's where then the police are put back in and then we have to pay 60 grand a game or 20 grand a game or whatever for the police. So, um, you know, we have a great relationship with the police. We have a great relationship with the Safety Council. Um, we put our point of view forward sometimes strongly. They accept it or they don't accept it. But we're not entirely in control of this situation. You know, the parts of the ground, we could be ordered to yeah. close, right? We have to be seen to be controlling the crowd and making sure that people can enjoy the game safely. Adrian is there to help with not just this kind of security. I mean, we have loads of robberies in the day at the stadium. It's too easy to get in. We get the lead nicked off the roofs. So, you know, all of the security of the stadium on non-match days is being beefed up. And Adrian's aim, job, is to keep everybody safe in the stadium and keep the, you know, bear in mind it's a season ticket in the homes down. You know, this is not, you know, He's got a background in crowd control. He's a really, really decent man, and he wants people to enjoy themselves, right? He's obviously, you know, he's got a background where he's he's, he's probably got more experience than all of us in dealing with criminal activity and, and, and people. So, you know, he's, he, he, he thinks things should be nipped in the bud, and I agree with him. I, I, you know, I have to control the stadium, and I have to make people safe. It's my job. In the worst case scenario, you see in Hillsborough at yeah. the moment, you know, I'm, I could be criminally negligent in a, in a circumstance where I don't deal with... Say they do that next week and someone splits their head open, right? And possibly dies. I mean, we've seen a young Palace fan take one punch outside a party last year, fall over, not go to hospital, and then he didn't wake up the next day. You know... It, it, the body's a fragile thing. I know they're young and they don't understand it, but it doesn't take much to yeah. seriously, seriously injure somebody. And people are at risk of, of, of real serious injuries if they behave like that. Someone smacks their head, right, that could be the end of them. And I am, if I don't stop it, I'm negligent. Now, what do I do? Do I have another word with them? Oh, yeah, okay, we won't do it, right? Unfortunately, it hasn't worked in the past. And it'll happen again. Um, well, I noticed personally that new security cameras were installed at various other points outside the ground prior to the um, coin throwing incident. Was it always planned for them to go inside the stadium after that? Yeah, I mean, look, the first aim of putting them in was to get rid of all the wires. That was really because I was obsessed with getting rid of all these cables. Then obviously people came and said, well, they're not very good. Like, you can't see who's done anything. You can't. And I think there's a requirement as well for it all to be better, a league requirement. So following the league requirements, looking at ways that we could stop the thefts during the day, my kind of obsession with targeting the individual culprits rather than tiring everybody with the same brush. 
Is it fair to say the majority of fans were against the HF protest on Saturday? For me, surely the most important thing is supporting the team. You know, if you, if you believe that you have that much influence over the result, then you're jeopardising the future of the football club if you don't give what you think is your best support. I actually thought the supporting ground was, was good, so I thought it was good, you know, and, and the only thing I noticed was that they weren't waving flags, you know. But I didn't, um, I think once they see it, hopefully they'll understand. So where does this, where does an incident like this leave the Hose Fanatics in terms of how they're viewed by the club and its supporters as well? We love them. I love them. I think they're great. I think the, the atmosphere that they create is great. I think you should be allowed to come to football and express yourself and enjoy yourself. And um, it's, it's, I've been there, I've been in that crowd. You know, I know what the excitement's like, you know, but sometimes you don't know what's good for you. Sometimes you need somebody looking out for you, you know, and just saying, look, the boys, that's just a bit too far. You know, you're going to injure yourself or somebody else. We all like what they do. Don't want to go back to, I don't want to be a sanitised, it's what we are. It's part, they're part of our identity. We use them in our marketing, right? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it, 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 I'm a big, big supporter of them. They've got to let me help them sometimes. So the HF claims that the stewards, having their own body cameras, um, have increasingly looked for opportunities to go into the stand and film fans excessively. But obviously, from what we've seen, it was required. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the body cameras have been that long. And they're really, the, the problem we have, we have individuals, individuals, not groups, we have individuals that will sometimes abuse a steward. Now, you don't come to football as a steward to be abused by somebody. And it's very difficult to get evidence of that, you know? So, every football stadium you go, you're filmed. The only time I've ever had a problem was when a steward tried to take a camera away from a fan, when a fan was filming the steward. And I don't agree with that. Right? You, you know, you've got to be held to a higher account if you're a steward. And if somebody wants to film you doing your job, they're going to, you know, you can't have it both ways. So, everybody's got to behave properly towards everybody. A bit of respect from everybody. And, and, and it'll all be, you know, we'll all get on fine. We respect them. I respect their right to air their views. Um, so Alan Pardew, in his programme notes on um, Saturday, um, said that he's met with a group of supporters and told him how pleased he was about their support since he's arrived at the club. Uh, do you agree with him saying the support, including the home self fanatics, are a key part of recent successes at the club? Yeah, they are. No, nobody makes it. Of course it is. Why do you win more at home? But I think it's got to be consistent. You know, I don't think support of a football club can be used as a as a kind of political tool to, you know, oh, we will support you this week, we won't support you next week, you know. Yeah. I think that's a dangerous area we're getting into as Palace fans. Right now, our reputation is the best support in the league, right? I don't want anything to damage that. I don't want the supporters demonised. Let's keep ourselves, it's, it's something we should be proud of. And everybody's recognised that it helps. Every, You know, we've got a manager now that gives credit to everybody. You know, he's not a manager that, that unlike some, that everything that's good is them and everything that's bad is everybody else, you know? Before, when I was talking to Alan about coming here, he said, you've got that little corner that starts it all going, you've got to keep that going, you know? So we want to keep it going. You know, it's not, this is not just the end of the wedge. Everybody believes in what we're doing and we've got it by being together. 
and by beating the odds and and we beat the odds because the sum of our parts is greater than the parts themselves because we're we're other clubs of you know I won't mention names but other clubs where there are issues between the owners and the supporters and the, you know it's it's not good I, I think we've embraced everything about Palace you know the heritage the you know I've been supporting the club for 44 years you know, I, I know every piece of the heritage, everything that's important. I'm surrounded in the ballroom by Palace fans, you know, people that have been going even longer than me. So we know what we're about and we know what we want to be, but that doesn't mean I can let people put themselves in danger in the stadium or, or other people. You know, I, I can't. You know, we have to... There's a line. And, and I think if we're not careful, you start to splinter off and you lose that togetherness. And it damages the club, and that's not what any of us want. I think that's all the questions we have for now. Um, so thank you very much for um, speaking to us. The Eagles Element. News, views and reviews on Crystal Palace. www.theeagleselement.com It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.